Good morning. I am glad that I get to share the message that I'm going to share this morning. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing this <clears throat> earlier in the service and uh, putting the, the praise team songs at the very end of the service because we want to create an opportunity for you all to share encouragements and testimonies, uh, which was the intention last week, but the time totally got away from us. So um, I, I, hope that, uh, I hope that some of you will, will share this morning. I know, know Connie back there emailed me and has something that she wants to share. Uh, so let me pray and ask uh, the Lord's blessing upon this message today. Father, uh, we pray that you would take the truth of your word and put it into the depths of our hearts so that we would truly know and understand you, your ways, and your work in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The point of this message is, is, is one simple but very powerful idea that is rooted in numerous Bible texts, including the chapter that we just looked at in Genesis, Genesis chapter 31. In fact, in fact, if you want, turn to Genesis 16, because I'm going to start there, Genesis 16. But here, here's, the, here's the truth I want to convey this morning, and it is that God sees you. Think about the fact that there are 8 billion people on planet Earth. That means that you represent one eight billionth of human life. And unless you are unusually famous, over 99.99% of the people on this planet know nothing about you. And uh, so, so you're, you're a small fish in a massive sea. And on top of that, how, how often do the people who do know you the people who are around you, how often do they overlook you? How often do they fail to see you or to appreciate you? Or if they, they look at you, they might look at you through a critical lens. And on top of that, you are often suffering and hurting. And so we, 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 as we do life in human community, we often find that our experience is unnoticed, unappreciated, hurting. Life is hard. Now, honestly, we, we really ought to do a better job of seeing each other and paying attention to each other and encouraging each other, but that is not the point of this morning's message. The fact of the matter is, is that you need a better foundation than the thin and fragile hope that some other human being might possibly treat you in a more loving manner tomorrow because it may not happen. Only in vain do we put our hope in men. Instead, instead of putting our hope in men, my desire this morning is to encourage you to see this biblical truth that God sees you. You are not an invisible face in a large crowd. You are not a number that was assigned to you by the front office. You are a human person made in God's image visible to the Father, and that truth is meant to draw you out of yourself and into the comfort and the fellowship of the one who loves you. Now, in order to set the stage for this, I want you to see a pattern 
that in Genesis and early Exodus, just to kind of lay the foundation for this. So Genesis chapter 16, verses 11 through 14, interestingly enough, preached Genesis 16 like 50 weeks ago, almost exactly one year ago. So Genesis 16, 11, Holy Scripture says concerning Hagar, and the angel of the Lord said to Hagar, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Laharoi, meaning the well of the living one who sees me. Holy Scripture says concerning Leah, flip forward to chapter 29, verse 31. Genesis chapter 29, verse 31 says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. And then go forward to chapter 31, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Chapter 31, verse 12, the, the angel of the Lord says to Jacob, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. And then go to verse 42. In verse 42, Jacob testifies, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side... Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. He was speaking, of course, to Laban. Finally, look at what Scripture says concerning the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. During those, during those uh, many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant <clears throat> with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew what all of these passages have in common is that they are snapshots of God's gracious care for afflicted and vulnerable people. Hagar was a maidservant in the home of Abraham and Sarah. Hagar was treated harshly, and she was afflicted, and she fled. But although she was an outsider to the central storyline, the Lord saw her and heard her affliction. Leah was plunged into marriage with a man who hadn't wanted to marry her in the first place. She was stuck in a complicated and unsatisfying marriage, being unloved by her husband. But the Lord saw Leah's plight and blessed her with numerous children in order to grant her a measure of hope and joy. The children of Israel were subjected to slavery and oppression at the hands of the Egyptians, but the Lord heard their affliction and remembered his covenant. Now, what should be obvious, even from these examples, is that when the Bible says that, that God sees you, it does not mean that he simply sees you in the sense of like being intellectually aware that you are there and that you are in the circumstances that you are in. This, this, this truth that God sees you 
carries the idea that he is lovingly attentive to you and intends to undertake gracious action on your behalf and for your good. He sees Hagar and speaks to her. He sees Leah and opens her womb. He sees the children of Israel and sends Moses to deliver them. Now, before we revisit Jacob, there is something really important and foundational that I need to say. The wonderful news that God sees you will ultimately lead to your ruin if you do not respond to him in repentance and faith. Just think about Genesis chapter 31. God obviously sees both Jacob and Laban. The fact that God sees Jacob is good news for Jacob because Jacob is in covenant fellowship with the Lord. But the fact that God sees Laban is bad news for Laban because Laban is not in a right relationship with the Lord. Psalm 11 verses 4 and 5 captures the double-edged sword of God seeing you. It says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Psalm 1 verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God sees Abraham and Abraham's faith. And God justifies Abraham and refines him and leads him in the path of obedience. God sees Abel and Abel's faith, and he receives Abel and accepts his offering. But God also sees Cain, and he sees Cain's unbelief, and he does not accept Cain, and he rejects Cain's offering and ultimately sends Cain into exile. Two verses in John chapter 3 communicate this matter clearly. John 3, 16 and verse 36. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in his son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You see, the truth that God sees you includes the fact that he sees your sin. However, if you have been united to Christ by faith in his atoning work on the cross, then God forgives your sin and he remembers your sin no more. But if you are not united to Christ, then you continue to bear on your own the weight of your sin. And one day at the final judgment, God will judge you according to all of your sinful works and will condemn you. If you are in Christ, the truth that God sees you is wonderfully good news. If you are in Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is on your side. But if you are not connected to the Savior, and if you never get connected to the Savior, then the truth that God sees you will ultimately be your devastation and ruin because the Holy One stands against you. Trust in the Lord who sees you and do not rebel against him. Now back to Jacob. Remember the context of Genesis 29 to 31. Jacob lived in servitude to his father-in-law for 20 years. Laban was a deceptive man 
who tricked Jacob into marrying Leah, which basically forced Jacob to serve him an additional seven years on top of the first seven years. And then Laban mistreated Jacob during those final six years. Laban was a dishonest employer. Look at uh, chapter 31, Genesis 31, verse 7, where Jacob says to his wives, your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. Passages such as Deuteronomy 24, verses 14 and 15, and James chapter 5, verse 4, make it clear that God is not pleased when, employer, when employers oppress their workers and hold back their wages. The spirit of God's law is to demonstrate love for the good of other people. Laban, however, was preoccupied with hoarding his possessions for himself and maximizing his own financial security. And he was unconcerned, unconcerned about Jacob's well-being. Jacob was mistreated, oppressed, and afflicted by Laban, as workers often are. But the message of the Bible is not workers of the world unite. Instead, the message of the Bible is, oh, afflicted ones, trust in the Lord and receive the sovereign assistance that only he can give. Jacob said in verse 5, chapter 31, verse 5, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. And then in verse 42, which I read earlier, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. Laban wanted to claim for himself all that the Lord had given to Jacob. But the Lord was Jacob's strong defense, and he did not allow Laban to touch him. Now I want you to notice for our application and reflection to our own lives, I want you to notice the two things that Jacob says God saw. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands. And in light of that, God acted in judgment upon Laban. So first of all, consider that God sees your affliction. God sees the oppression and mistreatment, the false accusations and persecutions, the sufferings and trials. God sees your disadvantage, weakness, and vulnerability. Whether the source of your affliction is wicked people, or the devil, or simply the fallen world that afflicts us all, God sees. What is so clearly revealed in the Old Testament is perfectly embodied by the God-man, Jesus Christ. Peter declared in Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And just, just, just think of the snapshots of Jesus' merciful care in the Gospels. Jesus was moved with pity when a leper pleaded with him to make him clean. Jesus saw the oppressed demoniac and had mercy on him. The narrow-minded disciples didn't think that the little children belonged in the presence of Jesus, but Jesus saw the children and took them into his arms and blessed them. Some annoyed people rebuked the blind man when the blind man cried out for Jesus, but Jesus took time to see and hear and heal the blind man. People, 
People are impressed by wealthy donors. But Jesus saw and valued the poor widow who put two small copper coins into the offering box. Near the end of his life, the Apostle Paul testified to the Lord's faithfulness while he was suffering for the sake of the gospel. After telling us that Alexander the coppersmith did him great harm, Paul goes on to say that, his def- that at his first defense, when he was standing trial in Rome, his fellow believers deserted him. Paul was suffering for the gospel, and yet other Christians let him down. But Paul did not lose his spiritual equilibrium. This is what he says in 2 Timothy 4, verses 16 to 18. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Centuries earlier, the Lord had seen Daniel in the literal lion's den and rescued him. Here, the Lord sees Paul in the proverbial lion's mouth and rescues him. The Lord sees and stands by his people even when believers fail to stand with and support one another. God saw Jacob's affliction and God sees your affliction. God also saw the labor of Jacob's hands and God sees the labor of your hands. God created human beings to be purposeful, productive, and honest laborers. Sin corrupts both the laborer and the labor, but one of the fruits of redemption is that God's redeemed people learn to do good works that genuinely please the Lord. Jacob, of course, is referring specifically to his faithful labor as a shepherd of flocks. He had worked manfully diligently, sacrificially, and productively, and God saw it and was pleased with the work that Jacob had done. But whether what is in view is the good work of our livelihood or the many other good works of love and ministry, the fact of the matter is that the Lord sees and values the work that flows out of your transformed heart. Let me give three New Testament examples to drive this home. First, The letter to the Hebrews was written to struggling Christians who needed to be exhorted to persevere in the faith and keep their firm hold on the gospel lest they turn away. And uh, the author there in the book of Hebrews employs several arguments and encouragements in order to carry out that purpose and encourage the people. And one of these encouragements is that God sees your work, your service, your ministry. It says in Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. You may be tempted to think that no one is noticing your work and love and service. Of course, it is entirely possible that the human beings around you are not noticing and appreciating your faithful contribution, but be assured of this. The Lord looks upon your work, your love, and your service, and he values what you are doing. And let that encourage you to press on. Second example, Paul tells bondservants 
and by way of implication, we can apply this instruction to all, all forms of employment, Paul tells bondservants in Colossians chapter 3 to have a vision for their work that goes way beyond an earthly paycheck. Paul says in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The Lord sees the honest work associated with your livelihood and your station in life, and he intends to reward, reward it, to reward your faithfulness. When the Lord says to his people at the end of days, well done, good and faithful servant, he will say that because he has seen and approved the good and faithful service that you have done. Always live and work in view of the eternal inheritance that the Lord has promised you. Douglas Wilson helpfully says, when a mother and her children have been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, then that apparently eternal pile of laundry will finally come into perspective. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Third, Paul tells Christian wives in the context of instruction about being respectful and submissive to their husbands, Peter tells them not to be preoccupied with their outward adornment. The goal of a preoccupation with outward beauty is to be noticed by other people or to, or, or to be noticed by yourself in the mirror. But Peter counsels his spiritual sisters to cultivate the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. That's in 1 Peter 3, 4. And this inward beauty will obviously give a very sweet aroma to the respectful and pure conduct that Peter commanded two verses earlier. But here's the thing I don't want you to miss. At the end of verse 4, Peter says that a gentle and quiet spirit in God's sight is very precious. In God's sight, he sees and values. We can generalize Peter's point by saying that the God who sees you sees your heart. This is very bad news if you're still dead in your trespasses and sins, but it's very good news if you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and you're being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He sees the heart behind the work. He sees the spirit behind the conduct. He sees the faith behind the deeds. He sees the inward beauty behind the visible fruit, and that inward beauty is pleasing, precious in his sight. Brothers and sisters, God sees your affliction. Sooner or later, sometimes in this life, but definitely in the life to come, God will make things right. God will deal justly with the Labans in your life. Whatever your trial may be, be assured that the Lord stands with his people, turns evil on its head, and leads his people through suffering to glory. God also sees the labor of your hands, and he intends to reward you. Your work might be mostly hidden from public view. Your service might be unrecognized by those around you. Your love might only be felt by those who are the direct recipients of it. But the Father who sees in secret will reward you, Matthew 6, 4. 
I would like to conclude this sermon by having the message impressed upon you through song. Aaron's going to come up, and you can go ahead and put down the, the screen. I would, I would like the biblical truth in this sermon to linger in your heart through poetry and melody. And so we present to you this song as a fitting conclusion to this message. Brothers and sisters, though the daytime heat and nighttime cold consume you and sleep flees from your eyes, to borrow from what Jacob said in chapter 31, verse 40. Though the days are long and the trials are hard and the short-term benefits are minimal and other people fail to praise our efforts, let us remember that God sees us, his redeemed people, and he has an inheritance waiting for us. So then, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Galatians 6.9. Brothers and sisters, God sees you. The sins of your heart How shall you cancel your debts He has grace to impart God sees his son on the cross His perfect sacrifice pays God sees your sin no more Your forgiven child Christ says God sees you every day Watching and leading the way, oh, come to him, dear child, and pray. Oh, come to him, dear child, and pray. 
God sees the work you've done, the work that flows from his grace. Keep your hands to the plow in the field until you finish the race. God sees the labor of your hands. You do not serve him in vain. Your faithful service he kindly regards. He will compensate for all the pain. God sees you every day, watching and leading the way. Oh, come to him, dear child, and pray. Oh, come to him, dear child, and pray. God sees you every day, watching and leading the way. Oh, come to him, dear child, and pray. Oh, come to him. 